Well, this week, you know, has been unique, as I've said. It's been a little different. I think for all of us this Christmas season, doing things different um, is sometimes a good thing, though. I think sometimes it, it helps us to maybe focus in on what's important, and it reminds us of the things that are priceless, the things that have value, and maybe allows us to kind of let go of some things that uh, we probably shouldn't be holding on to as tightly as we do. We talked a little bit about that last week, um, but it reminds us of, it should remind us of the areas that we're blessed. You know, in difficult times, in strange times, and uncertain times, we should be reminded of the areas that we're that we are blessed. And, and I brought a couple of things this morning that, you know, in and of themselves, this is one of the crosses that I have in my office, nothing really significant about it. Um, it is John 3.16 in Chinese, which is pretty cool. But other than that, you know, uh, the, the cross itself, though, is significant, right? So I have, I have a cross, and then I have a picture of my family. And the reason I brought both of these is because these two things represent, for me, uh, the greatest blessings that I have in my life. You know, one, of course, first and foremost, uh, the cross. I mean, Jesus' sacrifice, the reason that I have hope and assurance and meaning and purpose, my eternity is secure, is because I have a relationship with God through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then my family um, is, is the greatest blessing that I have. Mandy and the kids and, of course, our extended family too, but, you know, I'm, I'm so very thankful. And it occurs to me this even this week, as I'm preparing this, this sermon, uh, finishing up this sermon on blessings and what can rob our blessings, is that, you know, I, I won't experience the fullness of this blessing or any other blessing unless I've experienced the fullness of this blessing. Unless I have a relationship with Christ, I'll never experience all that he has for me. I'll never receive all of the blessings that he has for me. And in difficult times, I won't know hope. I won't know assurance. I won't know comfort. And then I won't be able to be the blessing that I'm called to be to others, to my family or others, unless I have first received the blessing of a relationship with Jesus Christ, because I won't be who I'm intended to be. I won't be fulfilling my purpose. So in order to experience the fullness of life, in order to be a blessing to other people, I first have to receive the blessing that God has for me. And if I'm not careful in life, there are things that can rob me of that joy, of that blessing, if I allow them to. And we see very clearly in the passage we're going to be in in 2 Kings chapter 5 today, we're going to see an example of someone who thankfully didn't allow these things to rob him of his blessing, but came close. He had some issues that he had to deal with. Uh, the, the character, of course, in today's passage, we're introduced to a man by the name of Naaman. The question for today is, will you receive God's blessing or won't you? Will you allow things to interfere with that? He had to answer that same question. We're going to see God do something incredible in his life. And we see a man who through his experience with God, was changed forever. Uh, he was a Syrian general who would be humbled, uh, a, a man of great power who would be humbled by God, and he received, as a result of his willingness to be humbled, he received a new purpose in life, and he becomes an ambassador for God, for the one true God of Israel. And his journey is going to teach us how we can be in a position to receive God's blessing and 
to see God's perspective, our lives from his perspective. So let's look in 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 14 together. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a brave warrior but had a skin disease. He was a leper. He had leprosy. Aram, Aram, Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master uh, what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went, and he took with him 750 pounds of silver. Surely he's going to require a lot of gifts, right? Took 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure him of his skin disease? Think it over and you will see that he is only picking a fight with me. He thinks he's trying to find a reason to start a war. That's not what's going on. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, He will surely come out, stand, call the name of Yahweh, wave his hand over the spot, and cure the skin disease. See, he thought he knew this is how I'm going to be healed. He had some preconceived ideas that were not accurate. Verse 12, Aren't Abana and Far par the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Well, if he's going to use water, don't you think he'd use better water than what's here? Again, his own preconceived notions. So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more would you, should you do it when he tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin disease was restored, or his skin was restored, the disease left him, and he became, it became like the skin of a small boy. He was clean, he was cleansed, he had to follow the instructions. Naaman had to do things God's way and get over his own notions of how things needed to be done. You know, God desires to bless his children. This, it's not a name it, claim it thing. I mean, you know, the Bible's very clear we're going to suffer. Not everybody's going to be rich. It's not, you know, if you have enough faith, you'll have whatever you want. But the Bible is also very clear that God wants to bless us. He wants to bless his children. He has a desire, just like I want to bless my children. I want to do good things for my children. Even more so, God being perfect wants to bless us. The, he, he wants to, to, to bless this church, I believe. I, I believe he's, he still has a plan and he has a purpose. Over the next few weeks, we're going to revisit that. Uh, we're going to refocus and look at, at what his vision is and how that applies and, and what's different. And, and some things we don't know, but some things we do know that we need to be busy doing. Uh, he wants to bless us, but we have to be in a position to receive that. 
And there, if we're not careful, there are some things that will rob us of that. There are some things that will rob you of the fullness of God's blessing. That's the first thing we need to realize. If we're going to be in a position to experience God's blessing over the next year beyond, we need to understand that there are some things that will rob us of the fullness of that blessing if we're not careful. What are some of those things? Well, one is proud arrogance. Proud arrogance will rob you of the fullness of God's blessing. The king of Syria was Ben-Hadid II. His second in command, his general, was Naaman. Uh, Naaman was a powerful guy. God had blessed him with victory. Um, he had done great things, um, but he had, had a problem. He had leprosy. He had this skin disease. He had a death sentence. Didn't matter how powerful he was, how many victories he had, he had this skin disease that would eventually kill him. And so he had a problem. He had a, a situation uh, that needed to be taken care of. So with the king's permission and a letter to Joram, who was king of Israel, Naaman goes to see Elisha in the hopes of being healed. Ben, but but Naaman and, and Ben-Hadid, they had in their mind how this was supposed to work, right? I mean, this other king, surely I'm going to have to bring him a lot of gifts, uh, expensive gifts, money and gifts in order for him to do what I want. Um, you know, it's going to have to happen a certain way. In, in Naaman's mind, he, he had thought about how this would go. He had preconceived notions. He thought that he was important enough to where he, he would get direct attention. Uh, I mean, he, he had all of these ideas, all of these notions, and it was really pride that was keeping him from listening to the prophet of God and doing things God's way. It didn't match what he thought was supposed to happen, but he needed to humble himself. Naaman was a proud man, and that pride had to be broken. I mean, think about it. Even just be, the, fa- the fact that he thought that the king and the prophet Elisha would need these gifts, I mean, that's what he would have expected because he was an important guy. It was his pride that led him to make the decisions that he did. It had to be broken. Why? Because Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate, God says. I mean, he, God's clear. Proud, you know, why does God hate pride so much? Well, because if I'm going to have a relationship with him, step number one is I have to humble myself, right? I've got to be willing to admit my failure, admit my sin, admit my need for him. And so there are some things that pride will keep us, will rob us of in life and, and especially in our relationship with Christ. One is repentance. If I never hum, humble myself, I'll never recognize my sin, turn away from my sin, and turn to God for forgiveness. So pride, if I have pride and I can't get over that, if I can't swallow my pride, I'll never experience repentance, which leads to salvation. I'll never experience reconciliation. I'll never experience it with God if I'm not willing to admit my failure, admit my sin, confess my sin. I won't experience reconciliation with others unless I'm willing to admit I've, I've done a wrong or give forgiveness when it needs to be given. Ask for forgiveness, give for forgiveness with God, with other people. Pride can keep me from experiencing reconciliation, restoration of my soul, of my body, of who I am. You know, the the process of sanctification is a daily process where God makes us like himself. 
and it involves humility. I've got, to, I've got to be moldable, right? I've got to allow God to do things his way. And many times that's going to conflict my own notions about life. And so I've got to be willing to humble myself. I'll never experience revival in my heart, in my life, in the church, if we allow pride to keep us from humbling ourselves before God, admitting sin, confessing sin, um, allowing him to do his work. You know, we have to be humble. We have to submit to his will and his way. I'll never experience redemption. Again, refusal to surrender my life to God will keep me from experiencing salvation. If I'm not saved, it will keep me from experiencing his best, his plan for my life. Proud arrogance will keep me from experiencing the blessing, the joy of knowing Jesus. And the joy of having meaningful relationships with other believers. Humility is the first step to experiencing uh, the life that God has for me. His plan for me. Predetermined ideas is another thing that will rob me of God's blessing. And boy, Naaman sure had these. I mean, again, he thought that he knew exactly how this was going to go. He took 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. Uh, he took uh, very costly garments clothes. These were all gifts that he thought surely the king of Israel, Elisha, both would require because he, he would have required that. Um, you know, he, he just had this, this idea of how this was going to go. And so he, he plans accordingly. And, and, you know, predetermined ideas are a problem when it comes to serving God because most of the time God does things in ways that we can't picture, that we don't understand. And a lot of times it's contrary to human reason. So if we can't get past that, we'll never experience God's best. When we're lost, you know, before we know Christ, we know nothing about the things of God. No one can know the mind of God. You know, I, I, can't, I can't please God when I'm lost. I can't know him. I can't communicate him if I'm lost. And so if, if I'm going to experience, if I'm going to know him, I've got to get rid of all my preconceived notions, humble myself, get over pride, all of these things, and, and accept his word, word, his will, his way for my life, which may be completely different than what I've planned. Um, think about the people of God, you know, the, or the people that God used to speak to Naaman here. I mean, all these people are trying to speak truth to his life, his wife's servant, um, you know, Elisha's speaking to him, Elisha's servant speaking to him, his own servants. Naaman, if, I mean, if he'd have told you to do something complicated, you would have done it, right? Well, he's telling you to do something easy. Why not try it? Why not do it? He's got all of these people speaking truth into his life because they know he's not listening. They know if he's not careful, if he doesn't get rid of his pride, if he doesn't get rid of his preconceived notions, he's going to miss this blessing. Um, all of these people, he thought he should hear from the prophet. He thought he should get that face-to-face -face contact. I mean, Elisha didn't even come out to him. He thought all of these things, but he was wrong. Naaman wished to be treated like a great man who happened to be a leper, but Elisha treated him like a man who was a leper who just happened to be a great man. He just treated him like a man. And the truth is, no matter what we've done... How the accomplishments we have in life, and some of them great, some, some have accomplished great things. When it comes to our standing before God, we are all sinners. 
And those of us who are saved, we're sinners saved by grace. I mean, God blesses us more than we could ever deserve. And so we shouldn't expect to be treated special because of a position in life that we have. Our gifts are not going to impress God. We should give God our best. Okay, we're going to talk about stewardship a little bit over the next, and one of the messages over the next few weeks. Uh, we, God deserves our best. It's all His. But we shouldn't expect to impress God with what we've done or what we have. The gospel has a way of cutting through all of that superficial stuff, that stuff that really doesn't matter, that we place importance on. It cuts through the differences of people to the one thing that's identical in all people, and that's that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We all have that in common. And some of us have realized that, and we know Christ. We've been saved. We've experienced salvation. Some of you may not have, but we all have that in common. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And we aren't saved by status. We aren't saved by gifts. We're saved by faith, by the grace of God, through faith in God, Jesus Christ alone, we experience salvation. It's through faith in him that we are saved. It is God's gift, not anything that we earn, not anything that we buy. The gospel message should always be in the forefront and the messenger in the background, not the other way around. We've got to get over our pride. Even Naaman's response to Elisha's instructions reveal his pride, his predetermined ideas. He, Elisha says, go wash seven times in the Jordan. So first, Naaman thinks, well, you know, these gifts, he's going to want these gifts. Then he thinks, okay, here's how he's going to do it. He's going to wave his hand over. He's going to say a prayer. He's got it in his head. And then when he realizes, no, I have to wash, he thinks, well, this, you know, the Jordan's not, it's, the, the water here's not as good as back, you know, 100 miles back where I came from. He's already traveled 100. He needs to go 30 more miles to the Jordan. But he thinks, well, if it, if it takes water, surely the better water is what it should take. I mean, he, he's got all these ideas, all these all these things, all these, this reasoning that thinks, okay, well, the, the prophet has to do it himself. Well, well, if the prophet doesn't have to do it himself, it's got to be, it's got to be water. It should be the better water. No, he just needs to accept God's plan. He just needs to get out of his own way and listen to what God has for him through the prophet. He had already decided in his own mind how God would heal him, how the prophet would heal him, but he needed to listen to the word of the Lord. Naaman had what we would call the God-in-a-box syndrome. And we all make that mistake at times, don't we? We get in our heads how things should go. And listen, our intentions are good. We want to do God's work. We want to see his will done. But then when we get busy doing his work, we realize he operates different than what we think. God does things his own way and in his own time. And we try to fit him in our own little box, and we can't do that. That's what Naaman's doing here. He's got to get past that. You know, a lot of people have, have an idea of what being a Christian is all about. You know, that if I, if I, you know, people that, that maybe aren't saved, they think, well, you know, I've got to get my life in order before God will accept me. No, you can't get your life in order. Only he can do that. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You know, if I go to church every Sunday, I'll, I'll get to heaven. If I'm good enough, at the end of my life, God will add up the score. And the good, if the good outweighs the bad, I'll get into heaven. A lot of people believe that. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Good works, gifts, status, none of that's going to be enough. God isn't impressed with those things. We should give him all that we have because we love him. But we have to submit to God's will, 
and his way. Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say, everybody has the privilege of going to heaven God's way or going to hell their own way. And that's the truth. You know, there are a lot of people that think they know how to get to heaven. But the truth is, the Bible is very clear. If you want to go to heaven, it's through Christ and Christ alone. I have to humble myself before him, admit my sin, admit my need for forgiveness, and that he's the only one who can give me that forgiveness because he gave his life to pay the price for my sins. I've got to get my preconceived ideas out of the way. You know, Naaman had to do the same. Predetermined ideas can keep us from experiencing God's blessing. Also, partial obedience can do the same thing. It can rob you of the fullness of God's blessing. Elisha didn't ask Naaman to do something difficult. This wasn't hard. He had already traveled 100 miles, 30 more miles. Isn't that big of a deal? And all he had to do was go dip himself in the water seven times. This wasn't complicated. It was a simple command, and it was a humbling act, though. You know, it was, it was something, it wasn't what he expected. I guess he expected more fanfare, all of that, because he was an important guy. But Naaman had to obey to be healed, and he had to obey completely. You know, to put it plain, six won't do if God says seven, whatever it is. If God says do this this way, and I say, well, I'm going to do just shy of that, that's not, that's not enough. And whatever God says do, if Naaman would have dipped in the water six times, it wouldn't have been enough. Why seven? There could be a lot of reasons for that. Seven's a significant number in the Bible. But the bottom line is God said seven. So if he'd have done it six times, he wouldn't have been healed. We have to obey God, and we have to obey him completely. God is not a God of compromise. It's not what I think that matters. It's what God thinks and what he says. And here's, here's a secret that we all should know. And you've heard me say this before. There is no such thing as partial obedience. I, I use that terminology, and the minute I read it, I'm thinking... There is no such thing. Partial obedience doesn't exist because we have to obey completely. Any hesitation, any partiality in our obedience is really disobedience. If we do most of what God says but not all of what he says, that's disobedience. And that will rob us of experiencing the fullness of God's blessings. Pride, preconceived ideas, partial obedience, which really isn't a thing, will all rob us. They're blessing bandits. Thankfully, Naaman obeys. In the end, he obeys. He got over his pride. He got over his preconceived notion. You know, he did exactly what God told him to do seven times, and he experienced cleansing. He confesses God as the one true God in verse 15. He becomes an ambassador for the Lord as a result of this. This powerful man would now have an opportunity to use his influence for the one true God. God had a purpose in all of this. Thankfully, Naaman submits. And the same can happen to us. We can experience God's full blessing, his complete, perfect plan for us if we will obey him completely. Um, but we've got to be ready. We've got to be in a position. And there are some things. The second thing we need to realize is that there are some things that will ready us for the fullness of God's blessing. We've got to put ourselves in position. But we've got to be ready. The first thing we need to do is we need to face our need. We need to realize we have a need in the first place. Again, we've all got this in common. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We've got to realize that. If we're going to experience God's plan for us, we've got to recognize that. Look at verses 3 and 4. She, Naaman's wife's servant, 
said to her mistress, If only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. He needed to recognize, I mean, he knew he had the skin disease. Nobody had to tell him that. But he had to go admit that he needed help, that he needed healing. He needed the Lord. He needed to realize just how desperate his need was. It was an article that came out a while back uh, about uh, how to, you know, studies, uh, surveys were done to see how people got out of traffic tickets. And, you know, this isn't, I'm not, this isn't a, a sexist comment here, but, you know, it's kind of the, the, the idea is that if you're a lady and you cry, you'll get out of a ticket, right? Have you ever heard that? Well, that's not necessarily true, okay? Matter of fact, studies have shown that men actually get out of more traffic tickets than women. So that kind of debunks that theory. And so naturally, the question was asked, what is it that, that gets you out of a traffic ticket more? Well, some people just make up excuses. You know, I was late for whatever. You know, I, I had to get to see somebody who was sick or whatever the excuse is. And about 68% who were surveyed said they got off with a warning because of that. 61% of drivers who made themselves cry on purpose got out of a ticket. So it does work, but not as well as some things. You know what works the most? What actually is the, the, has the greatest result? If you want to get out of a ticket, you know what works more than anything? Saying you're sorry and telling the truth. I was speeding. I'm sorry. You're right. You got me. I was wrong. Doesn't always work, but Apparently, and you can, we can go ask our officer outside if he, he agrees with this, but apparently officers appreciate it when you tell the truth and admit you've done something wrong. They know they've got you clocked on the speeding radar. They saw you run that stop sign. And so actually 78% of the time, people said when they told the truth, when they expressed remorse, the officer let them off with a warning. Telling the truth. 89% of the time, people said, just telling the truth did it. Um, remorse helped, but telling the truth also. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. You know, that works in our spiritual lives as well. If we're going to experience God's best for us, we've got to be honest before God. He knows our hearts. He's already got it clocked on the radar. He knows that we've done something wrong. We've got to be honest. Admit our failure, not because he needs to know he already knows it's for our benefit we've got to be humble before god tell the truth show remorse for our sin even as christians we need to confess and we need to repent so that our relationship with god is right we got to put ourselves in a position to experience his blessing if we do that if we're going to do that we've got to admit our need admit our need for him for forgiveness for his direction i have to recognize my need and that God is the only one that can fulfill that need. Nobody else can. And if I am in a period in my life where I'm not hearing from God, I need to go back to where I went astray, because guess what? It wasn't God. It was me. And so if there's an area where God told me to do something and I disobeyed, that's where the break happened. I need to go back to there and obey him. If, if I'm not hearing God's voice in my life, there's sin in my life, I need to go back. I need to confess that sin, repent, and then... Once again, I need to go back to his word, and I'll hear him speak once again. But I've got to be willing to confess and admit my need for God. It all begins with my recognizing my need for him. Then I need to seek the Lord. 
Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom. And then Matthew 11.15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I seek the Lord, then when he speaks, i got to listen. I listen to what he says. I seek him, and then I listen for his voice. Because when he speaks, I've got to have ears to hear, right? So when he speaks, I've got to be in tune. If you're listening, God will speak to you personally. And in John 16, 1, Jesus tells us, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. He has directions. He has instructions. And they are for our own good. Even if we don't understand them, they're for our own good. Even if they don't make sense, why do I have to go to the Jordan? Why do I have to dip myself seven times? Why isn't he waving his arm over me? Why didn't he want these gifts? None of this makes sense. But it was for his own good. It wasn't just about Naaman's physical health. He needed to learn a lesson in humility, and he needed to learn his need for God. He needed to learn how to obey God, just like you and I do. We have to be teachable. You know, I like to work on things. I like to fix them when I can. I get frustrated. You know, typically something's going to go wrong because I'm not an expert in anything. I'm not even sure I would say I'm a jack-of-all-trades, but I can do some things. I mean, I grew up with a dad who was, is a jack-of-all-trades. He fixed everything, and I mean, he just had, has an amazing ability to do that, and I was his helper. And I, I don't know if you've ever been a helper, but being a helper gets old, doesn't it? I can remember being a kid, being a teenager, helping him do stuff, and just being tired of being a helper. I wanted to to, to do it. I wanted to help. Fi- I wanted to actually fix it. The older I got, the more I was able to do. But you know, the truth is, had I never been a helper, I would not be able to fix things now. There's a lot of things that I can do around the house that I learned from my dad from being a helper. I watched him. I listened. I learned from him. And then I did when he let me do. I had to be a helper before I could do the projects. That's true in all of life. If I'm going to accomplish, if we as a church are going to accomplish something great for God, we've got to be teachable. We've got to listen to his word. We've got to obey what he tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. We've got to learn. We've got to be disciples. And then when he says, okay, it's time to step out, we've got to step out and do whatever it is that he's asked us to do. Take those steps of faith. We're about to take a huge one as a church here in the next few weeks. But we believe God has led us here, and he's going to be faithful as he always has. And there's a lot more for us that he wants us to do in our community and impacting the lives of others. But we've got to be teachable. We've got to be willing to listen and do things God's way. Once you've heard God through his word, you have to obey his word. Plain and simple. You have to be willing to obey. Look at verse 13 of our passage today in 2 Kings 5 again. But his servants approached him and said to him, my, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you, wash and be clean? And regardless of what we think, how significant, regardless of how significant I think God's instructions to me are, and there are times when God tells us to do things, and we think, ah, I, don't, I don't understand why that's important. You know, why is it important that I do Washed seven times in the Jordan. Yeah, Naaman had to, be, had to be thinking, what, what's the deal? What, why seven times? Why the Jordan? I mean, he says, why the Jordan? Why not these better bodies of water? And, you know, there, there are times in life where we experience that, right? I mean, I, I mean I've talked before about my, my last year of seminary. I thought surely God was leading me to New Orleans to pastor some church down there, but he had different plans. And, you know, I, 
there was a lot I needed to learn serving as an intern at First Baptist Kenner. I didn't know that. Seemed kind of insignificant at the time, but it was so valuable when it was all said and done. There, there are things God leads us to do that may seem ins- insignificant, but I need to obey them anyway. And I may never know all of the significance. I'll learn as I do them, but they, they, the things he asks me to do may have impact that I'm never fully aware of, right? I mean, his word does not return void, but we don't always see the results of the preaching of his word, the teaching of his word, the, the obeying of his word. So I have to trust him. And in all of God's instructions, though, we find in Revelation 1-3 that God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. After our series on vision, over the next four weeks, we're going to go through our series on vision. We're going to revisit that. And then we're going to go through the churches in Revelation and see God's message to us through them. But one thing is clear. If we read the Word of God, if we obey the Word of God, as that verse just told us, He will bless those who listen to the message and obey the message. We've got to obey. I have to obey God's Word. And in order to obey, I have to trust. I've got to trust God. If I don't obey, if Naaman doesn't go and wash seven times, he doesn't believe that God can truly heal him because he's not trusting God enough to do things his way. If God calls me to action and I don't do it, I can talk all day long about how I believe in God, but I don't really trust him if I don't obey. Anytime God calls you to an action, there's going to be a step of faith that you have to take. And you won't always see where your foot's going to land. But you've got to trust. That's part of following God. That's part of having a relationship with Christ. Walking with him daily. Those steps of faith. That, that crisis of belief. Y'all remember experiencing God? Anybody go through that? I love, I love that terminology. That crisis of belief. Because it's in those moments where we really find out how truly we believe in God, right? If I'm willing to step out, we've got to be willing to do it. The future is uncertain, but we know that God holds the future. We know he has a plan, and we can trust him. When he says step, we need to step. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. If I do my part, God will do his part. You know, it's amazing. We think we live in a pretty cynical society, right? And, and you know, there's an argument for that, certainly. But Barna did a study a few years ago, and it's amazing how many people still believe the Bible to be true. Um, some of the main stories, one of the, uh, if you're not a believer, probably one of the hardest ones to believe, the resurrection of Christ. People were surveyed, and it, it, they found that 75% of the people they surveyed still believe that Jesus actually was raised from the dead. They may not be saved, but they believe that actually happened. The story about Daniel surviving the lions in 65% of people surveyed believe that actually happened that it was literal of course we do we believe the bible's true but i'm just talking about americans in general 64 percent believe that god actually parted the red sea and the the israelites crossed and the egyptians were drowned that god actually did that bible says that david killed goliath with a sling and a stone survey found that 63 percent of people believe that's an actual story that happened story of Peter walking on water, 60% of people believe that actually happened. 
Bible says God created the earth in six days, the universe in six days. 60% of the population believes that he actually did that. We may live in a cynical society, but evidently there's still a lot of people that believe that God is real and that his word is true. We can work with that. I mean, how many of us really believe God and show it by the way we live? That's the question. Even in a society as cynical as ours, God is evidently still considered trustworthy, so we should trust him. Bottom line, even when we don't understand. And then when we can do that, we can receive the blessings when God sovereignly offers them. When we're in a position, when we're submitted in obedience, God offers the blessings, we can receive his blessing. That's where I want to be in my life. That's where I want to be with my family. That's where I want us to be as a church. I believe God wants to bless us. But we've got to be in a position to receive that blessing. Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. We have victory over sin and death because Jesus gives us the victory. And then Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Why can we do that? Because of what we just read. Jesus has given us victory over sin and death. We can now confidently and boldly approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. You know, last week I talked about gifts. I got some this week. It was a good Christmas. Everybody have a good Christmas? Different but good, right? Did you get everything you wanted? I got a lot of good stuff. One of the things, I, yeah, I've talked about Andy Griffith before. That's my favorite show. It's, Mandy says that's like my happy place. I, you know, I go, I watch Andy Griffith, and, and it calms me. It's a, it's a stress reliever. I've seen every episode about a million times. I can quote them. You can show me a frame, and I can just about tell you what episode it is just by a frame, a scene. Um, there are some in the church that are more expert than I am. I won't mention names, but they can, they can, they can wipe the floor with me on Andy Griffith trivia. But I'm pretty good. Um, and this, this Christmas, I got a lot of gifts. And, and two of my favorite, one, it, it wasn't appropriate really for Sunday, but it, it, it was a shirt, a long sleeve T-shirt that says Mayberry Police Department. I wore that Christmas. But I also, and if you're an Andy Griffith expert, you'll appreciate this. I also got a pretty cool keychain. It's a bullet. It's Barney's Bullet. I could put it in my pocket, but I didn't. But these are, you know, this is just a few of the gifts that I got, and I immediately put it on my keychain. You know, I wouldn't be able to enjoy this if I wasn't willing to receive the gift, right? Some of these came from the kids. Some of them, Mandy got me. They gave them to me, and I, it would have been rude, but I could have said no thanks, right? I don't want it. Keep it. I wouldn't be able to experience the joy of receiving if I didn't say yes to the gift, I have to say yes. Now, it would be silly to do that. I mean, who, who doesn't want a gift? I, I love gifts. I know you do too. And, and what would that communicate to Mandy, to the kids, if they tried to give me a gift and I said, no, I don't want it? They worked hard to find something, to pick it out, to wrap it, to give it to me. Nobody would do that. If they're decent human beings, they wouldn't. But, you know, sometimes... Receiving gifts can be awkward and hard, isn't it? I mean, especially, you know, Christmas, you're used to it, birthdays, you know, you get gifts, you're used to opening. But, you know, somebody does something for you out of the blue, 
serves you in some way, it can be difficult to receive that, can it? It's hard to explain, but just like with traffic tickets and the Bible, there's been studies about that on why it's difficult to receive gifts. And here are a few reasons. Five reasons why receiving a gift is harder than giving a gift. It's easier to give something than it is to receive it. One is it's a defense against intimacy. When I receive something, I'm making myself vulnerable, right? And, and, you know, it's hard to do that. You're opening yourself up. Two, it's letting go of control. I'm letting you give me something. I don't know what it is, and I've got to humble myself and receive it. You know, our instinct is, well, let me, let me do something for it. Let me pay you for that. No, I'm buying dinner today. No, let me pay you. you know, I've got to be willing to accept it. It involves humility. Three, there's a fear that there are strings attached. Have you ever just gone out like on a mission trip or on a neighborhood project and just done something for somebody and they, they're, they're hesitant at first because they think, oh, there's got to be some kind of catch here because they probably just had a salesman come by and try to sell them encyclopedias or something. I mean, they, they, they've got it in their mind. There's got to be, be a catch. There's strings attached. But a true gift, there, there are no strings attached. I'm giving you something. It's yours. You don't earn it. Because if you earn it, it's not a gift. But we believe that there are strings attached, or we fear that there are. Number four, we believe it's selfish to receive. We've got it in our minds that that's selfish. And yes, we should be serving, we should be giving, but there's a time to receive gifts from others, especially from God. And then five, there's this self-imposed pressure to reciprocate. Again, I've got to do something to pay you for this. Well, no, it's not a gift then. It defeats the purpose. The article elaborates. It says, if everyone were busy giving, I think this is important. There's a spiritual implication here. If everyone were busy giving, then who'd be available to receive all that good stuff? By receiving with a tender self-compassion, we're allowing ourselves to be touched by life's gifts. Letting ourselves receive deeply and graciously is a gift to the giver. It It conveys that their giving has made a difference and that we've been affected. Now, we always want to do great things for God. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, wanna, I want this church to accomplish great things for God. And we're going to talk about some of that over the next couple of weeks. But the truth is, what God wants more than anything is for you to receive Him. To receive His gift for you. It all starts with that. It starts with receiving Christ. If I say no to him, and I don't open myself up to his plan for my life, what does that communicate to him? I can talk all, we can talk for weeks about what we think God wants us to do as a church, and that's important, and we're going to do that. But if we're, if we're not in a position to receive what he gives us, we, that's all it is, is talk. We've got to be willing to receive It's hard to receive. It's hard to accept God's plan because it's going to be difficult. It's going to require more than we're capable of doing because we need God. It's God-sized. His plan for my life, his plan for this church. But if we're willing to receive it, if you're willing to receive him, then you can experience the joy of living the full life, the abundant life that he has for you. He wants us to be touched by life's greatest gift, his son. And maybe some of you here today are at home. You, you haven't received that gift. 
That's where you start. You want to know God's plan for your life? You start at the foot of the cross. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Admit your sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've done things wrong, but Jesus died for your sins. And if you will come to him, admit your need, he will enter your life. He will forgive you of your sin, cleanse you from that, and you can have victory over life and death. You can have meaning and purpose in life. You can finally know what you were put on earth to do, but you first have to receive that gift. For those of us who know him, the best gift we can give God today, this Christmas, the best gift we can give God is to receive his gift for us, his plan for our lives. Are we willing to listen and obey and to do exactly what he tells us to do? Will we get over our pride? Will we get over our arrogance? Will we get over our preconceived ideas and accept his plan and follow his plan? Let's just take a few moments and and evaluate where we are and whether or not we're in a position to receive God's blessing for us. Father, we come to you today and we recognize that your plans are best. You know better than any of us what is right for your church, for us as individuals, for our families. You created us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You have a perfect plan for us. You want to bless us with being a part of that plan. And it's unique for each of us, but it's also there's a common goal, there's a common plan of advancing your kingdom and fulfilling your purpose for your kingdom. We as a church have been put here for a reason, to serve this community, to reach the lost, to help the hurting. But we have to be in a position to receive the blessing of your presence, your power, your strength, your provisions. We have to be willing to listen. We've got to humble ourselves before you, be right in our relationship with you, listen and obey what you tell us to do. And of course, we know that that, that, that's only possible if we know you, if we have a relationship with you, God, through your son, Jesus Christ. And so that maybe that's where some who are listening or are here today need to start. They need to start with the greatest gift they will ever receive, the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would take this time, this new year, as a year comes to a close, we begin a new one. I pray we would take the advantage, the advantage of the opportunity to just allow you to search our hearts. Just speak to us. If, if there's something in our lives that's keeping us from being in position to experience your best, if we're distracted, if we're not truly trusting you, if there's an area of obedience, something you've told us to do that we're holding back, an issue of faith, whatever it is, Lord, if there's something that's keeping us from being in position, I pray that we would repent, we would confess that sin, turn from it, turn back to you and just open our hearts and our lives to whatever it is that you have for us. We trust you and we want to experience your best, your purpose for our lives, for this church. We want your name to be glorified in all that we do. We want to be your ambassadors. Just as Naaman became an ambassador for you, we want to be your ambassadors to the world around us. God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the gift of your blessings, your purpose that you've given us. We thank you for your love. 
In Jesus' name.